Like my soul was done, but I have to breathe. I have to be strong because I have to take care of my kids. Welcome to this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast, episode 13. My name is Adessa, and I had the opportunity to sit down and connect with May Ishaq, the wife of the Assyrian martyr Menachah Sahda Yubert bin Yamin. Born in 1950, she received her bachelor's degree in accounting from the University of Basra and worked for a petroleum company for many years. She and her husband were involved in the early stages of the Assyrian democratic movement which was established to satisfy the political objectives of the Assyrian people in Iraq. On February 3rd, 1985, her life forever changed, and we'll get to hear about just how many obstacles she had to endure while in Iraq and eventually later in Canada. For many, this will be the first time hearing the story, and this, my friends, is an unbelievable story about courage, resilience, faith, and the kind of grit and perseverance Assyrians have had to demonstrate throughout the years. On another note, if you'll be attending the Assyrian National Policy Conference in Washington, D.C. this week, be sure to be on the lookout for the Assyrian podcast. Steve will be there and would love to connect with you, so make sure that you stop by and say hello and let him know that you are one of our regular listeners. Now, before we get into the episode, we're asking you to spread the word about this podcast, and we want you to tell at least three of your friends about this podcast. Show them how they can listen to us, whether on Google Play, iTunes, or Podbean. We have so many listeners from all over the world, and we don't want this to be the best-kept secret. To be notified each time a new episode is released, be sure to hit the subscribe button. Finally, I'd like to give a shout out and thank you to our sponsor, John O'Shauna from HomeSmart. Whether you are thinking about purchasing or selling your home in Arizona or California, contact John O'Shauna Real Estate Professional at 209-968-9519, on Facebook at John O'Shauna Realtor, or at John.Oshauna on Instagram. Without further ado, here is the story of May Ishaq. a little bit about where you were born in Iraq and where you grew up. Okay, I born in Nineveh. I lived there for five years. Then I moved to south of Iraq in Basra and I grew up there. Then got married in Baghdad and moved to Kirkuk. Okay, and in each of those cities, could you paint a picture a little bit about what Assyrian life was like there? Were there a lot of Assyrians that, in Nineveh I could imagine, were there a lot of Assyrians in Basra growing up? Oh yeah, there were, we, we were a lot, like thousands of Assyrians. We had church, club, we used to gather youth together, go picnic, parties. So you had everything. You had everything. the essentials of what an Assyrian would need in order yeah. to have a good community. It was really good. It was like that till the party came and start limited our activities. They interfere in everything. Even the interfere was from our people, which they were Ba'athis with the party. And they come through us just to limit the activities. And so. talk to us a little bit about what, because many listeners may not know about the Ba'ath regime and like the government at that time. So could you talk about what year are we talking and when did you start to see a change really in the activities of everyday life? It started in the 70s, let's say 1970. 
five, probably, yeah, because I was in university in that time. And they start forcing us to uh, involve in bath party. And who doesn't, they really, like, bother him, attacked. Like myself, I wasn't, and I said, I never, because it is uh, Arab parties, his, uh, like, bath Arab. So I'm not an Arab, I'm an Assyrian. Mm-hmm. And the thing they did, they forced one of our professors to fail me in the best subject I was in. To fail you in it, okay. And fail me that, because I didn't involve in that part. I see, okay. Yeah. And they limit our, like, we were like a group, a Syrian, to go to cafeteria, sit, and they didn't allow us to do it, like, in public. We have to hide or contact each other secretly. So they start from there. Even they force us to fill a form saying we are Arab. Mm. Yeah. And what was the what was the purpose, would you say, of the Ba'ath regime? Like, what were, what were they trying to accomplish during that time? They they wanted to control everything. So, and everybody has to be Arab. So they wanted to really Arabize, Arabize the people every, of Iraq. Yeah, and they start to even force us to study Quran. Whereas before, you were never mm. forced to do that. No. Before, like Christian, we leave the, like we don't attend Muslims' lessons. But later, they force it. Like, we have to attend. And so during the time of the Ba'ath regime, was it anything that was anti-Assyrian or anything that was anti-Ba'ath? Anything that was anti-maybe Arab that they wouldn't allow? Yes, anything anti-Arab. And so that would obviously include being... Assyrian, Assyrian, but did they allow you to practice your faith? During yeah, the faith, yes. Churches were okay. So religion but wasn't really affected. It was more so time, just ethnic just identity? Just ethnic identity, yes. A church, like a religion, no, it wasn't because we used to go to church to learn Assyrian. So churches were okay. Yeah. How long were you in Nineveh for and Basra for? And then... Baghdad, and, and where, you, <laughs> like, you traveled quite a bit with uh, Iraq Iraq, yeah. I was in like in Ninwek till five years then, because my mom was a teacher in Basra, so I stayed with my grandma. Then five years, my mom came and I moved to Basra to register at school. So I stayed in Basra till I got married. What's a memory that you can think of growing up, like a special memory in Basra? that you have? Just in, as your childhood. Oh, it really was, the life was so simple and people, they loved each other. Honestly, we didn't know like this is Muslim or this is Christian or this is Arab, this is Kurdish. We never know that. Like we were neighbor, we loved each other, we slept at each other, like sleeping over, eating. There wasn't this such a thing like... We didn't realize there is difference between people. Like, all we are people, we live together, we love each other. It was such a simple life. And everybody mixed well with each other. Everybody. When did you start to notice? Was it that the government was starting to separate people? And that's when you you began to notice that there is these differences between the people that you had grown up with? Yeah. That started with Ba'ath regime, starting to make difference between people. Who's not Ba'athi, who's Ba'athi, who's... Christian who is Muslim who is speaking another language we weren't allowed to speak Assyrian mm. in uh, jobs in schools and especially if you are at work and you are answering the phone you are not allowed to speak in Assyrian you have to speak in Arabic, in Arabic. 
Wow. Yeah. So there, people start to realize this is Christian, this is Muslim, mm. this is Assyrian, this is Arab. And during that time, you had mentioned that you had gone to university. Mm-hmm. Was it common for women to go to university during that time? Yeah. Oh, yes. it was okay. Whole, like my mom, she went to university really? okay. in Iraq. Like this is in thirty. Yeah. So there was no differentiation between you're no. a man, you're a no, woman, no. women do this, men do this. No. It was it was a free for all. All. Like most of my friends they were like men, boys at university. There was no wow. no. That's amazing. It what was. was what was university life like there? Almost like here. Like we were together, we go picnic together, we have parties together, we sit together. And during the university time is that when you had met your husband? No, that was at work. He was from Baghdad. So and where were you going to university? Basra. Oh, in Basra, okay. Yeah, and so. he went in Baghdad University. Yeah. And after you were done with university, is that when you had moved to Baghdad? No, no, I worked in Basra, in petroleum company. There, I met my husband. Talk to me a little bit about that, how, how you two met, and what was love like? in Iraq because the way that we see love in the West I think is a little bit different there it is it is different yeah it is different it's the culture it's the society like Uh, were you able to be out in public with each other yes like especially for us a Syrian Christian yes okay yeah but the funny thing we met and the language was our uh, connection Ah, (laughs) like different like no he he talked to me in Arabic, but when I wrote his name is Hubert Benjamin Schneemann, I knew what he's an Assyrian. So he spoke to me in Arabic, I answered in Assyrian, and he came again in Arabic, and also I answered in Assyrian. Then I said, oh, no, this is not my type person. Because <laughs> you're hoping he'd respond back in Assyrian? <laughs> yeah, because he's an Assyrian, right? I said, okay, probably he's, you know, proud of himself. He said, no, I didn't know. Like So I said, okay, because I used to help a Syrian. doesn't matter what. Boy, girl, as soon as I see the name and I know the person is an Assyrian, that's it. I'll do whatever I can for the person. So one of my colleagues, he said, oh, he's from your society. He's Assyrian. That's why you are taking care of him. He's a good looking guy. I said, what? <laughs> I said, no, because he's a Syrian, yes, but otherwise I don't care. And in that time, he wondered how I'm answering him in a Syrian. So he went and asked, who's this girl? Mm-hmm. <laughs> who's this lady? So here I start with our language. So, that, so you'd met at work and you found out that he was a Syrian through his name. Yes. And then I asked because you're not kidding. He's, I didn't know like he's his friend, okay. but he was my friend. So he called me and he said, May, there's a guy, his name is Hubert William. Take care of him. I said, What? I'm not taking care of him. Let him take care of himself. <laughs> he said, No, 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 May, what I'm telling you. Then I said, Uh oh. If you're not them is saying like take care of that means he is in this group Mm. like the Mm -hmm. I said, Oh okay, sure, I will. But my brother he didn't mention anything, which he knows him, but he didn't say anything, but you're not them told me to okay. Anything he needs, let him contact me. I am here like to help him. So it was a good contact. (laughs) And what were you doing at the company? I was working in payroll department, mm-hmm. 
And my job was to prepare payroll through computer. Like in that time, we started using computer, and I was special to do the allowances for engineers and professors, which they used to work in company. So he was one of them. And was it common for many Assyrians to work in those companies yeah. as well? Or? Oh, okay. Yeah, there were there were a lot of engineers, ge- geologists, working in office, accounting, many Assyrians, mm-hmm. especially in a petroleum company. Mm-hmm. A lot of Assyrians, mm-hmm. they were working there. Yeah. Did they have high positions? Yes. They did. They did. In that time. Now, I don't think so. A lot has changed since oh, yeah. then, I'm sure. So you had initially met Ubert at the company. Mm-hmm. And what happened after that? Once you started to have an interest in each other how did it work back then did you date for a little bit he's like he started very officially like he came and visit my family oh, okay yeah from an early stage yes okay no we, we used to meet at work mm-hmm. and a uh, couple times three four times we went out and then he came to meet my family and because his family left iraq to greece I, yeah Yeah, they left. Only his dad was there. So the dad said, we have to do officially before I leave. Because the war started in 1980 between Mm. Iraq and Iran. So before his dad left, they came and asked for my hand. And that was in August. And we got married in December. And because you were working in Basra, you were living in there for quite a bit? No, we didn't live. Like, uh, after we got married, he got transferred to Kirkuk. He asked for transfer Mm -hmm. because he wanted to be in North. So we transferred to Kirkuk. And since then, we lived in Kirkuk. What had happened during the time that you were both together in Kirkuk? And what was life like under the Ba'ath regime during that time? Oh, it was really hard. And honestly, always I myself lived in fear because I know like we were involved in the Assyrian Democratic Movement. And Hubert used to go a lot to north of Iraq to contact the people. Like, you know, in 1980. 82 or 83, the group of guys, they moved to north in mountain and the revolution against the... Just, the, honestly, it was only asking for our rights. Like the thing they were asking for Iraq, Democrat Iraq, our rights, why you are destroying our old churches, villages, those stuff. So, mm-hmm. so you but used to go a lot. We went to north, to mountain. He wanted to meet those. Like, were they soldiers? Or yeah, like they were, yeah, like two of them. And what, when you say in the mountains, like people were going there to protect land that we had there? or Yes, what? to okay. protect the people there. I see, okay. Yeah, a year before, beginning of 84, in February, two of them being killed in Simele because they were protecting. There were a group of young men they ran away from army because Saddam was sending everybody to uh, to the war with Iran. So this group, they ran away to to go like out of Iraq or be in mountain. And those two, they heard that the uh, government they sent army to surround the Semele, the village. So they went there to release those, to ask them to leave and run away because the government, the army are coming to kill them. While they are defending those, they've been killed. Yeah, she, uh, Jamil and Sheba. And those were two of the soldiers that were trying to protect. Yeah, the villages and our people. So they've been killed and 
they they killed them they then they tied them to a car and they drove the streets in the hawk mm. show everybody that's what ha- what ha- will happen to you wow yes was that common to do back then oh, that to was display the, yeah <clears throat> they they used to hunk people in public to show people like if you are against bath if you are against the government you'll be this hung. is what will happen to this, you yeah yeah. That's humiliating also. Oh, yeah, it was. It was humiliated, yeah. And Jamil was our uh, good man in our wedding. One of them, Jamil, yeah. So you had a personal connection to oh, him. Oh, yes, yeah. Sahdi Hubert at that time had gone there. And this was, did he go there after this had happened, the killing of the two No, men? and that day, and that day, like, uh, he came and he was so mad and nervous and I didn't know what happened till he said like this happened and it was really you know like defect a lot like two of our good guys so it was time which I was really always in fear till the day they captured him in with Zawa's newspaper Bahra they continue like going and taking things to to those uh, guys up north. And that time, all of us, we went to north because they wanted to meet those. And we were uh, up there, not uh, us, even Sahda uh, Yosef, like a group of, we were there. Then we had to take Bahra down to Kirkuk, Baghdad. So we took Bahra to Kirkuk. Hubert and myself. Then Hubert took Bahra and went to Baghdad to give it to people. So and the way that they transported the news was was by through travel. Sub, yeah, Hand, and handing it out. Handing it out to. So what was in the Bahra? What kind of news was it? It was just educational, most of it about our culture, about what's happening. Otherwise, people did people know because at that time was there. Were people, yeah, how did people know of the news that was happening? Was it really only through Bahra? Through Bahra, okay. yes. And, but Bahra was very prohibited. Like it was really by, like, they have to give it to certain people, which they trust. And one of them, he, he asked Hubert, uh, like he wanted to involve, and he was deacon in our church, which Hubert trust him. So he asked Hubert to have Bahra, so they they point a place to go and meet to give him Bahra. So Hubert went to give him uh, the newspaper, but uh, he was involved with that party. The guy that he had the met guy. with him. Yeah. Wow. And so he had plotted that. Plotted, yeah. And when Hubert wanted to give him Bahra, the undercover, let's say, agency, Saddam agency, they were there, so they captured Hubert with Bahra in his pocket. And that they, was the proof, like, for them. They wanted something to prove, like, those people, they have a group. And, and that was it. Yeah. They captured him, and what happened? They captured him, and there was agreement. Within three days, he, he never announced any name. So and who's he? Hubert. Uh, Hubert. So in they wanted those, him to admit if anybody was involved, involved, and he wouldn't. He wouldn't, because this was the agreement, like, within three days... So the other one, they heard one one of them be captured, they run, like they go to north. 
but some of them they didn't so they start capturing like they captured Hubert in 14 July 14 and they start captured the other in July 17 so they took like his brother uh, my brother a lot of our youth like men all educated who is giving the names to the people to then have them captured the other ones like your brother and whoever like if you were to give because how was it like me you but i know only you yeah you you know only this so the and that uh, chain yeah and so they had captured him and he was imprisoned Mm -hmm. what happened after that they captured him without any uh, trial without any no judge no no he couldn't go and defend himself and to no, anybody. No, no defend, no lawyer, no. And nothing. there was no such a thing then. No, 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 especially like something against bad regime. Of course, there's no defense, no nothing. So uh, three of them, they they put them for execution, and the other they were in prison for life. But later, because it was the war between Iraq and Iran after two years they let them go because they have to involve an army so definitely some of them been killed or some of them they managed to run and three of three you but joseph you have been executed during this time what news was being relayed to you did you know what was happening throughout the process what was told to you. I know Hubert went to Baghdad to take Bahra and give it to people. One of his friends, he saw the, the undercover catch him and put him in the car. So he went to my brother-in-law and said to her, uh, to his uh, wife that Hubert being captured. So she called me and she said, I want to tell you like Hubert is like, we can't say anything through the phone. Because all the phones they were being tapped in, being tapped in. So she said, "Oh, they took Hubert to hospital." So I said, "Oh God, is there medication with him?" She said, "Yes." So I understood, like, that's it. He's gone. So I went to Baghdad. We used to live in Kirkuk. I went to Baghdad and we start asking. And in seventeen, they came to take his brother. At night time, uh, they came. They asked for his wife and. I said, like, I am Hubert's wife. Can I come too? So we went, and they questioned her, and they asked me, do you want to see Hubert? I said, yeah, I do. And at that moment, did you know what had happened? Or yeah, you, okay. I knew it. Like, I knew it. This is it. Like, so I went uh, to see Hubert, and the head of those, like, the secret uh, agency, he said, oh, how did you know he's here? I said, oh, I didn't. I thought, like, he'd been captured to send to a war, like, you know, okay, like, if people uh, ask you, say that, don't say, like, it being captured by the government. I said, okay, but I knew it, that's it. And you, and you saw him? Did you? I did, I did, but I said, don't worry. Like, because I was pregnant and Pani Pal, he was one year old. I said, don't worry about us, we'll be okay. And That's was, it. And that was the last time that you saw that him? That was the last time I saw him. And how old were you at this time? I was 32. So at 32 years old, with one when child and, and one four. on the way? Yeah. And this had happened? This happened. 
Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about what you were feeling at that time. What was going on in your mind? That's what? it. I was done. Like that's it. I thought I'm not alive. Only the thing, like my my soul was done. But I have to breathe. I have to be strong because there's I have one one year and the other one in his way. I have to take care of those. I have to take care of my kids. I have to be strong, even though they they put hand like everything was uh, like. But if we have money in the bank, the everything furniture they took they put hand on it. Like I end up out the house with suitcase of my babies and that's it. And who had taken it? The government, the government had come into your house and taken everything, everything out. Everything. And this was in Kirkuk? In Kirkuk. Even the money in the bank. Nothing. So they left you with nothing? With nothing. Only I was working in all company and I had to fight, 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 fight. For three years I was fighting with the government to stay. With the company? To stay in the company working and uh, to get a place to live in because I didn't have place to live in. I gave, my, like, I gave birth to Ramen in November and they've so been executed in February. So Ramen was two months old and I end up like in street, actually, like homeless. So I gave Ramen to a people to take care of him. So I stayed with the Panipal every day going somewhere and people, they were scared to take me in or talk to me because it was really a... Because the bath regime was really, they they knew everything about you. Yeah, yeah. They and knew. they were watching you, really. They were watching me. They were watching me at work. They were watching me everywhere, everywhere, like there was somebody watching me. Always been asked who contact you, who's coming to visit you, who, nobody. Even like once they ask me, uh, now we know you are from good family, you are a good worker, blah, 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 blah. And now uh, Assyrian people will trust you. They start talking about the government, about Saddam. And when you go to church, they'll start being uh, sympathized with you. So who, who is saying this? the under agency, uh-huh. like the government. So we want you to tell us what's happening in church, what's happening with your people. I said, I'm very sorry. I don't go to a Syrian church. And he said to me, aren't you a Syrian? I said, yeah, my nationality, I'm a Syrian, but my faith, my, it's, I go to Anglican church. I don't go to a Syrian church. So just to save my people from, he said, oh, but I don't think there is a Syrian people going to Anglican church. I said, yeah, there is. Like, I named the people, a Syrian people there. So I said, I belong to that church. But when I started going there, <laughs> my people, they thought, like, I'm going to Anglican. Oh, look at me. Like, her husband gave his life to a Syrian. But they didn't know, like, I'm doing this to save them so there i mean i that's that's so much to try to be juggling mm-hmm. at yeah. the same time yeah your your husband had just passed your your youngest son 
is with in the Something. care of Something. others. Yeah. You have a younger son. You're trying to protect your own people. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they're not understanding where you're coming from mm -hmm. and the reason why you said Anglican yeah. Church. Yeah. And I can't say anything because I can't. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm scared to say anything. Like I have to do what I have to do. So you were saying people were hesitant on having you in their house. How did you find refuge somewhere? Uh, I rented place with a Muslim's family, but it was so hard on me. And I stayed there. And I was just fighting for my rights with the company because before they captured Hubert, we had companies, they had their uh, camp, like houses, as like here, there's government housing. So oh, so the workers would live there? Would live there. And we had one, but they took it back. So I was fighting to have a place. Then uh, with those, I couldn't handle staying there. So the lady, oh, God bless her, she's an angel who babysit Pani because I asked, I said, like, you know what? I don't have place to go and I, I have to go back to work and I don't know what to do with Pani Pal and I don't know what to do with Pani Pal. I'll bring him in the morning. I leave him in, like in front of your door. If you take him in, thank you. God bless you. If you don't, I don't know what to do. Thank God and thank him. She is, she is a believer. She is. So she started babysitting Pani for me, and I went back to work. Then uh, I started begging her, uh, begging her father-in-law to give me just a small room, a place in the, her house. And she helped me a lot. Like she asked her father-in-law, we have to. Uh, but the people they said, oh, don't don't like then the government will be after you but she like said other people were telling her oh yeah don't like but she said no i'll take me even if they excuse me like her husband i'll take her and like she's young with a baby like it's shame on us Syrian to leave her in uh, homeless so after one year i moved in with her and she took good care of me and my boys so i took back ra ramen and we lived with her, and I continue fighting the company to have my own place. Then I got the place, a house, like company house. We lived there for three years. So three years homeless, three years with the house, like with my yeah. kids. And in 1990, I came to Canada. You said enough is enough. Oh, it was enough. Even like uh, I stayed in company, my position got it back, I got the house. But I said, I am okay, but what about my boys? I have two boys. Like, I don't think they leave him alone. They don't, because you were a party, start going to school and always been harassed like oh your father was faithful to this country and like and he was young like he was six years old which is not something a, a young kid should have to hear yeah and he didn't he, he didn't understand what's going on so i said no way my friends at work say come on may now you are settled you are okay your kids there i said no way I'll go anywhere in this world. Even I beg and sit in the road and beg people for a piece of bread. I'll feed my boys. I'm not staying here with this regime. No way. 
Did you feel betrayed by the country and by your own people at that time? Uh, by the government, yes. By my people, I, I don't like they were, but they were scared of the regime, not because they don't want me or no, they were like honestly, they any time like they see me, they start like crying and be faithful and but the government, the regime was so bad. From the time that, from the time that they were still in power and before you had left, was there still a threat of security for you oh, yeah. and your family? And were they still tapping into phone calls, for example? Big time, big time. So like, really, it seems like at no point were you like oh, I was in a prison. No, I was in a prison, but open prison. Like yeah. even once I was walking with my boys, Panipal was. Four years, four, and Raymond was, and I took them to a store to buy them stuff. And he said, Mom, why that guy is following us? Like, wherever we are going, he's coming. I said, oh, oh don't worry. This, you know, those men, like dirty men, they look at you. And he acted like a big boy, and he started walking with me. Like, even a kid, four years, five years, he understood, like, and... Of course, like my phone was tapped, like the house phone. I knew it. They were listening to my conversation anytime, even at work, at my office. The phone was tapped everywhere. Like when you were in your home, were you able to speak? Like you're, you're in your own home. Were you able to speak on the phone in, in Assyrian? Yes. Yeah. Yes. But did they have people that knew Assyrian? Oh yes. So they oh, could there hear were and translate. Yeah. There was Assyrian with the, that were a part of the regime. Yeah. A lot of Assyrians, they were part of the regime. One of them, the guy who showed you, but he was an Assyrian, he was a deacon. Why do you think an Assyrian, what interest would an Assyrian have to join the regime? Scared, okay. the fear. Secondly, money. Third, for better job. Hmm. So everything was personal. Mm -hmm. Nothing to serve the nation mm -hmm. or serve, the, no. It was perfect. Like for selfish reasons. Yeah, selfish. You had left Iraq. What year was that? 1990. 1990. And you came to Canada? Yes. First I was in Toronto, in Etobicoke. Did you know anybody here when you had first come? When I came, like my sister-in-law, she used to live in Canada. Yeah. I came there, then I moved alone and worked, worked, worked. So what was the transition like going from Iraq to, to Canada? Did you know English at that time? Yes. You did, yeah. okay. So you were able to at least get by and... Yeah. And so even with everyday life, so thinking about, again, I, I'd never been, I don't know what mm. Iraq was like during that time, but going from a place that, like the way that you had pictured it, to a, a country where you don't see any of that day-to-day -day, mm -hmm. and you no longer have people that are listening to your phone calls mm -hmm. or following you. We'll talk a little bit about that transition. Like uh, first when I came, like I came as a visitor. So the second day I went to immigration office and I claimed refugee status and they knew it. They, like the story was here, they they know about this because a certain democratic movement, they send everything to United Nations, MC, so they knew. But the problem was because I had visitor visa and it was for six months. So they said within this six months, you can't work 
you can't go to school. Only like uh, your kids, they can go to school, but you can't do anything. So, and uh, I came here in June, then in August, like I wanted to go back, to be honest. Yeah, I wanted to go back because like I was alone, even though like my sister-in-law, but I wanted to go back. But then in August, the war between Iraq and Kuwait started. So that's it. So you felt like you couldn't go back. This no, is it. That's it. Yeah. I have to think what I have to do and I have to be more strong and I have to take care of my kids and I have to start a new life. Just forget whatever is like back home. This is a new life. I have to be involved in this kind of culture and life because like my boys now they grow up here and they so it's like a new chapter. Yeah. I hear that back then in Toronto there was an area where like a lot of Assyrians lived. Yes. Were you living yeah, in Yeah, I area lived as well? in a building. The superintendent was an Assyrian and there was many families in that building Assyrian. Was that comforting to at least know there were other at Assyrians? At least like there is people I know and then I applied for government housing mm-hmm. as a single mom with two boys and I lived, it was very like nice apartment with two, but the area wasn't safe for my boys to grow up. So I moved to Mississauga. After four years, I moved to Mississauga because I wanted like better life for my boys. At least they grow up in area which is safe. Yeah, which is understandable as a mom. Yeah, you absolutely want that for your kids. Yeah, so I moved to Mississauga. I started working many jobs because I don't want to go to like uh, welfare. Then because I said, oh my, like if I go to depends on government and welfare. And so then my boys, they like I have to be an example, an example for them. I have to work hard so they, they know life. You have to work hard. So I started working. I, I worked many jobs. And did doing so full-time? I did some full-time. Then, uh, like, I worked part-time with the tax season with HNR. Uh, I worked in a department store. At that time, it called Eaton's. Now, it's not exist anymore. I worked in gas station. Then, like... I had my own franchise gas station. I work interpreter language for Arabic, Assyrian, English. I work cleaning places. So really a lot of different jobs. Yes. Just to stay afloat and being able to support your family. To support my family. And I said, I don't want my boys to be like less than their friends. So I have to provide them with what they need. So I have to work two jobs a day like go to my work then go cleaning then go interpreting and go like do the tax season thing just to survive thank god it seems like from your time in iraq transitioning to life in canada there really wasn't any time where you weren't i guess for lack of better word struggling to survive in some in some fashion And being in a country where you don't have a level of support around you, like, did you have your siblings here at all or anybody? No sibling, no. And as a single mother raising two boys, Mm -hmm. how did you do it? To be honest with you, sometimes, like, I said, I said, how did I do it? 
how did I, how did I work and taking care of the boys and watching them, teaching them, taking them to sports activities. Also, like when I came here, I involved in political. I, I, I was the president for a Syrian democratic movement here. And then I was president for a Syrian aid society. Like I involved in our activities, you're you're like a superhero like a super mom i don't know really and and you've grown and you've raised two amazing young men who thank god have created you know i depend on god a lot i i depend on god a lot once my uncle after what happened to you but he said to me i never forgot that and that time it hurt me a lot but then he said from now on you have to depend on god and yourself and I was so hurt in that time when I when he said that to me. I said, from this moment, I don't need anybody. Only God and myself. Since then, I depend on God. I defend my life to these two boys. To raise them to be good because they are taking their dad's name. So they have to be good. And you had mentioned a little bit earlier that when you had come to Canada, you were the president of the Syrian Democratic Movement at one time. Do you feel like with what had happened in Iraq with Alama Nikhlas Ahda Hubert, did you feel even more empowered? I was involved from beginning, like in Iraq, from they start the movement, I was involved in it. So, and with Hubert, like we were together in that. In that struggle. In struggle, yeah. So, myself, like before I know, before I met Hubert, I was involved. My nation is my, my life, my, my blood. Oh. And as we were mentioning, you'd, you'd helped to raise two amazing young men, Pawnee mm-hmm. and Roman. And with Pawnee, his first child, you Hubert. all ended up naming him Hubert. Yes. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you when you had found out that you were going to be a grandmother and that did you help to choose the name? Was it a thought process or was it no thought process at all? Like, this is what his name is going to be. The, this is his name. Like... They decided like I want it, I love it. But when they decided, it was like something for me. Like I never felt like always. I feel Hubert is with me. When they said to me, "Alama Nakhla," no, for me he's not dead. Like hmm. he's he's alive. He's here. He's everywhere. He's with me. Like always, I feel like he's supporting. He's around. His soul probably like. And now. He's Hubert Sura. Once he came in my bedroom and I have my wedding picture and he said to me, Nana, you know, this is me. I was old with mustache. Now I came young again. And that thing, like, I don't know how to explain it. it I was can give a, you goosebumps. I, it was goosebumps. And I was wondering then, I said, oh God, I don't know. Is it like, do I believe the soul come back again? And... Is it his soul in you? So, like, I adore you, Bert. I wow. adore him. Even they accuse me, like, I spoiled him. <laughs> You're a grandmother. You. <laughs> first, I'm grandmother. Secondly, grandmother. Secondly, he's you, Bert. Yeah. Like, and he said that. It, it, I don't know. I don't know how to explain my feeling, honestly. Yeah. In yes. that moment, it was a shock for me. I just, I was just looking at him. 
and I hugged him and kissed him and like like, you, yeah. a, like Hubert was three years old. How he yeah. said this like this thing? Why he said it like why? <laughs> Almost like a reincarnation she, in, in a smaller form. Yeah, but so I hope this Hubert will be like the old Hubert. <laughs> I think so. I think he will. I'll pray for that. <laughs> Yeah. And so you get to say Hubert's name every day, really. Yeah, Hubert, Hubert. It's a beautiful cycle. Mm. Now you are a grandmother. Mm-hmm. I am two. a grandmother to two beautiful anaklap. <laughs> and the other grandson's name is Benil. Benil, yeah. Is that your your main source of joy on an everyday yes. basis? And, the, the and your responsibility, right? You you care after them? Yes, I do. And the funny thing, like, which made me so happy, like, Benil's middle name is Mary, and my mom's name is Mary. So without telling them, I was surprised when they named him Benil Mary. I said, wow. So Because I was attached to my mom a lot. I was attached like when I lost my mom a year before Hubert. Wow. And Hubert supported me a lot like because he knew it I was attached to my mom. Even like many times I said I'm not getting one. I want to stay with my mom. I was attached to her. So I have Hubert and I have Mary. Atume, for the listeners, what is something that you want them to know to be mindful of of the past and in moving forward for many listeners who have maybe heard or hearing this story and understanding what Sahada Hubert's life was like in the past what what do you want them to know moving forward or what piece of advice do you have I want them just to keep their language this is the most important thing even at home, speak to your kids in Assyrian. Be attached to your church, your culture. Always remember, like, the Sehde, like our martyr, they give their life, their soul to this nation. So this nation, I beg and I pray, it'll stay and grow more. Probably one day, not me, probably you, youth, your kids will go back. To where our roots are because at in Gaributa, like in here in west or everywhere we lose ourselves if we don't keep our language our culture our belief so probably one day we'll take it back and stay in our land 